Well, it doesn't take a scientist to know that uh, we do live in a broken world and we are a broken people. Quickly looking at the news, you see that all over the place. Listening to our Advent sermon series, you know that that's what we're talking about these days. There's, there's something going on in the midst that God is working to do a major uh, renovation and restoration in. The first three chapters of the book of Genesis tell us the way it's supposed to be and the way things currently are. It tells us that God created all there is out of love, and particularly with his human creatures, they responded with love back to him. It was a perfect union with people responding to people and people responding to their creator in a beautiful harmony. But the Bible says it wasn't to last. One of the spiritual beings God created didn't like being less than God, and he didn't like the way that God really liked these human creatures that he had made. And so he thought he would mess things up a little bit by tempting these human creatures with the belief that God was holding out on them, that there was something that they could do to get something more that God was not willing to give them. And so these humans believed the lie, and they rebelled against their creator, the one who loved them. And in that singular moment, sin entered into creation. And with sin came fear, guilt, shame, came self-protection, self-centeredness, relational distance. With that sin, all desire, emotion, thought, word, and deed became horribly twisted. And over time, that became our reality. Interdependence and community were replaced by independence and autonomy. Uh, rather than using things and loving people, we began to use people and love things. And with that, we began to see suffering start to come into the world. For the first time, whether it was by accident or by human design or by some kind of natural disaster, people began to suffer and they began to cause other people to suffer too. Death and decay is another way to say it. And over time, death and decay became what was typical, what was natural, it was our only experience, it was our reality. It became what was to be expected. But deep inside, Deep inside, there was the memory, there was the hope, there was this, this embedded knowledge that this is not the way it is supposed to be. Now, the Creator knew this was going to happen, and He knew what He was going to do about it, so early on, immediately following the initial rebellion, He gave a promise that one day He was going to send someone who would destroy the power of death and decay. And this, this became the good news that all the world was waiting for. As the years followed, the Creator God kept filling in the picture of who this person, this anointed one, this servant was going to be. In 800 years before the Messiah's birth, he spoke through his prophet Isaiah. In the first person, Isaiah was speaking about who this person was going to be. Listen to these words from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. See, the Lord's restoration of all things is really the good news that everyone is waiting for. That's why Mark begins his gospel with these beautiful words, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
And early in his public ministry, we see Jesus doing a really interesting thing. He's teaching at his home synagogue in Nazareth. And he comes to read. And we don't know whether or not it was a, an assigned reading that Jesus timed or whether he chose the reading himself. But he ended up reading from Isaiah 61. Listen to these words and think about the congregation hearing Jesus read these. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now, when he finished, he sat down, which meant he was sitting down to teach. He was sitting down to let the people know how they can interpret this passage. And Luke adds these words. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. <laughs> I mean, Jesus told them that he is the one that, that God promised was going to come, that he is the one who's going to restore all creation back to its original design, that he is the one that the people have been waiting for for centuries. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled today. Death and decay have lost their power. The curse has been lifted. You know, I've thought about this before, but, but when Adam and Eve rebelled and the curse was placed upon them, I, I, think, I think Adam and Eve um, had to learn what it was like to live into that new reality of death and decay because they never knew it before. And in the same way, I think that those who follow Christ and have received this restoration, we need to learn what it is like to live into this new reality of restoration to wholeness because we've never experienced it before. All our lives, all we've known is this death and decay thing. All our lives, all we've seen around us in the world is, is the, the seeming reality of something that will never leave. And so it's not going to be easy for us to live into restoration of wholeness. We are a broken people, and we do live in a broken world. And while we know this, I mean, we don't always see it, do we? Because we're so used to living in a broken world, it's so much typical for us, that, this, that the dysfunction seems like it's the way it's supposed to be. It's typical. It's what we should be expecting. Now, in, my, uh, in the basement of my childhood home was a marvelous piece of technology, a phone, very similar. It's not this one. <laughs> Lily, thank you for loaning this out to me. But it was a phone very much like this. And we were so grateful for this technology that was in our home basement. Because this little guy allowed us to, uh, every time we talked to my grandparents, which, by the way, was always after 9 p.m. or on weekends when the rates were down. You might remember that. It used to be rates. It was really expensive to make a phone call like that. Whenever we talked to my grandparents, uh, it allowed two people to be on the same line at the same time. And that was magic. But, you know, it wasn't always all that good because, because this phone had some quirks. You couldn't dial out on the phone. There was something wrong with the keypad or something in the inner workings, or there was a really thick cable that came out of the back. I remember this. And so it, you weren't able to dial out on the phone, but that was okay because you could still dial out on the upstairs tech kitchen phone. And so someone would dial out on the kitchen phone, they would wait, and when the other person answered, they'd say, okay, pick it up, and we'd pick it up, and you'd be there. And everything was good. Almost. 
because this phone wouldn't ring when a phone call came in. <laughs> you see, so you didn't know a call was coming in, but that was okay because the kitchen phone rang really loud and you knew that a call was coming in, so you didn't have to worry about this ringer not working. But then you really couldn't answer this phone when the call was coming in upstairs because while you could hear the person on the other line, you couldn't talk to them. <laughs> so this little beautiful thing that we had in our basement couldn't dial out didn't ring when a call came in and muted the, the, the person's voice when you were on the line. But we had this phone for so long. This is just the way it was. This is the way the phone worked. It wasn't broken. It didn't need to be restored because we had found a workaround. We knew how to live within this situation. And sometimes we become so used to living within a broken world but the dysfunction seems natural, right, the way it's supposed to be. And so family members learn how not to uh, uh, upset the grumpy uncle and set him into motion. We, we learn how not to bring certain topics up with certain people. We learn how not to question an individual's uh, rules or regulations or organizational system. And, you know, and times we... We learn that there are certain people that we shouldn't share our weaknesses or our fears with because they will just use them to shame us at some point in time. We are silent. They don't change. We don't change. It's broken, but we don't think it's broken because it's the way it's always been. And besides, we found a way to work around it and make it work. So many times I think about our lives being like that basement phone. At the time, that technology was fantastic. I mean, it was a masterpiece. It was the best we could get into our homes. And we were really grateful for it. But it was a broken masterpiece. What it needed was someone to restore it. It needed someone who understood what that phone was intended to do and someone with the technical expertise who could come in and make it work, make, re restore it back to its original design. Ephesians 2.10 says that you and I are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do the works he prepared in advance for us to do. So let's update the illustration a bit. You and I are the best smartphone in the market today. That's what we were designed to be and to do. But the problem is our screens are so badly cracked that they can't take input from our thumbs. The software is outdated. The, the, the battery is so old it no longer holds a charge. The memory is full. And if you have any ports on yourself, they're jammed with all kinds of dust, dirt, and grime. So that we're not able to do the work that our Creator intended us to do. We need a restoration. We need Jesus to step in and restore us so that we can do the things God made us to do. Now, we know that restoration always takes time and effort, right? Whether or not it's a phone you're restoring or an automobile or maybe a piece of furniture, it takes time and effort, and the outcome is not always certain what's going to happen. But when it comes to our restoration, while time and effort are true, the outcome is defined, certain, and guaranteed. 1 Corinthians 3.18, so all of us who have had that veil removed, in other words, those of us who have come to faith and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. 
Galatians 4.19, Paul writes, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. You see, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, doesn't it? So Christ is in us, but He's not yet fully formed in us. We are saved fully, but we're not yet transformed into His glorious image. Like the pains of childbirth, that restoration requires some time and some effort. I'm talking about spiritual formation here. I'm talking about discipleship. That's what this is. And Robert Mulholland uh, says that spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's important. Because what we do when we are being formed to the image of Christ is not about us and what we get out of it and the warm fuzzies we get and the closeness that we have with Jesus. Yeah, those are all good, but the reason we are formed to the image of Christ is for the sake of others. It's about Christians being conformed to his image so that they can display the beauty of Christ's character and the certainty of Christ's kingdom to the world around them. Empowered by his spirit, we grow as his ambassadors, proclaiming the good news to a broken people living in a broken world. Christians carry Christ, but they still need to be spiritually formed into his image. This requires a conscious choice that is expressed over time. There are things that we do. And while growth is not automatic, because we can stunt it, we can slow it down, we can get it stopped, while growth is not automatic, the, the, uh, the conclusion truly is guaranteed. When we place our trust in Christ, God begins his good work of transformation. We join him in that work, knowing that one day it will be complete and we will fully be like Jesus when he returns. That's what Philippians 1.6 says. So restoration has begun. It is already here. It's just not yet fully completed. And while we wait for Christ to turn, we are about the task of helping one another be formed into Christ's image so that we can all experience and express what this restored relationship, this restored life is all about. Now, when I started this, started this message, I made the comment that when sin entered into the world, it caused us to replace our interdependence with independence. And I said that for a reason. Because formation in Christ is a community event. Well, certainly some of it can be done in solitary. We do go out to quiet and lonely places and we do have solitude and silence. Those are important things. But primarily, for the most part, it is done in community. We need one another. As iron sharpens iron, so we need each other in this. The first community we have, of course, is our family or our closest circle of friends. These are the people that know us best. These are the people that spend most of our we, we spend most of our time with. Another community is our church community, right? Where we get a chance to be with one another, whether it's in a grow group or our spiritual friends that, that love us enough to, to meet us where we are and help us integrate the scriptures more fully into our lives. We have other communities too, our, our work community, our neighborhoods, even people we don't even know. God is able to take people we don't even know and use them as a catalyst for our own spiritual growth if we let him. This takes work and it takes time. And the power is God's, but the choice to engage the effort is ours. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1, 27 through 29. 
He said, Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature. That's growing up. That's in his image, fully mature in Jesus Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It's his energy that we use, but it's our choice to engage that energy in some form of effort. Now, because of the curse of Genesis 3, we all know that much of the brokenness that we carry, you know, those things that, that, that inhibit us from being able to reflect the Lord's image more clearly, the brokenness that we carry is often hidden from us. I mean, we can't even see it. And if we can't see it, it's not going to be restored. I mean, the old expression is you cannot surrender what you do not possess. In order to be able to, to possess something, to surrender it to the Lord so that he can begin his work of restoration, we've got to know what's happening. We've got to know we have it. Now, many times, God uses the obvious brokenness of the world and of the people around us to reveal to us those things that are hidden from ourselves. And many times, it's just small little things, but we have to be listening to them. So we're driving down the road, and we get angry at something that another driver does, and the Holy Spirit says, do you have the right to be angry at that person? And you take it a little bit further and say, why am I thinking that? Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And then... It brings back to memory that you were doing the exact same thing last Tuesday, but you had a reason for doing it, and so it was okay for you to do what he just did. Well, maybe he's got a reason for doing it too. And it begins to, oh, maybe I've got a hidden thing going on there. Or maybe there's a hidden reason why, why, there's a, why, why I am impatient at this moment. I think I'm justified in my impatience, and the Holy Spirit says, eh, think about it again a little bit. Many times these, these little quiet things that the Holy Spirit does, they're, they're little tweaks. They're little small changes in the way we think and their motives of action. But other times, other times God uses the brokenness of a moment to expose a major area that we had no idea we were harboring in our hearts. Like in 1987, when after two days of psychological testing to see if I was fit for pastoral ministry, a psychologist told me, Rob, you don't know this, but you are a young man filled with rage and you're just blind to the whole thing. And I laughed at him. I laughed out loud at the guy. He doesn't know me two days, you know. But he planted a seed. And three weeks later, when I was telling Ann I was just frustrated, the Holy Spirit said, is it or is it anger? And I began to probe into that, began to realize that things I was calling frustration or sadness or fatigue were actually a very deep rage that I was covering over with euphemisms because I'm not allowed to get angry. And I began to see how my anger, which was covered over by euphemisms that was now being expressed passively, was crushing my new wife. Really? You see, if I am willing to believe and respond to the Holy Spirit. He's speaking. Do I believe this? Can I respond to it? If I am willing to believe and respond to the Holy Spirit, that moment becomes a humbling, paradigm-shifting, life-changing catalyst that can put me on the path to being conformed to the gentleness of Christ. Now, notice how I needed other people, right? I needed somebody else even outside of the church to tell me what was going on inside of me. And then I needed the community of faith to be able to practice it out. 
I needed to be able to, you know, I was going to screw up again. I needed Anne's grace to say, I forgive you. Let's try it again. Are you being passive in that, Rob? Are you feeling angry right now? You know, and just working with me to help me, to help me grow up a little bit and to take on the gentleness of Jesus. Or perhaps it's like 1993, when I spent a painful two months of daily crying out to God to heal my newborn son. In those two months worth of time, there was another newborn child, a little girl, who was born with a terrible condition, and we prayed for her. And two days later, she was healed. Not my son. She was healed, not my son. In those two months, I wrestled with, with, with what was God was doing and the efficacy of prayer, and why was I even praying? And, and I, I believed in God's goodness. I was convinced of that, but it just wasn't making any sense to me. And then, one night late in October, God answered my prayer, but in a way I never expected. As he, rather than choosing to heal my son, chose to begin healing me. See, that night as I cried out and listed all the reasons it would be good for him to heal my son, I mean, I've been practiced on this for a while now, all these great reasons, God very gently spoke and showed me how all of my nice-sounding prayers, all of my altruism, was really for my benefit and not for his. I never saw that. Really? Now, if I am willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, if I am willing to believe that what he is saying could be true, that moment can become a humbling, I put that word in there because it is humbling, a humbling, paradigm-shifting, life-changing opportunity to start the process of becoming more like Christ in his selflessness. I believe until Christ comes, we never get there. We're never gentle like Jesus. We're never selfless like Jesus, but we are at least on the path. And until we see it, it can't be restored. And God in his grace shows it to us through the brokenness of other people. In this case, see, it was the brokenness of my own son, an infant who showed me what was going on. And then I needed the community again for me to practice what this means. And for, for them to bring comfort to me as I work through the struggles of this moment in every way. So if we let them, God uses the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of other people to show us the brokenness in us that we cannot yet see. And then to help us turn the corner to restoration. And now even when we see it, then we must choose to join with him in his lifelong work of conforming us to the image of his son and restoring us to full wholeness so that we can begin doing the work that God prepared in advance for us to do. So to borrow Paul's words in Colossians and apply them to ourselves for a moment, we help each other do this by admonishing and teaching each other with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, we strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in us. It's his energy, it's our choice to engage the effort with one another and listening to the Spirit and taking the time to allow His Spirit to do the work. So, on this Advent season, friends, hear the good news. The long season of death and decay is over. You no longer need to fear death or be ruled by it. Yes, things are going to get difficult in this world. As Brentley said last week so well, the pain, suffering, and, and, and sin of this world will splash on us. But because of Jesus, it doesn't have to stain us. And it doesn't have to stick to us. 
For all who put their trust in him, Jesus' first coming as a helpless infant began the process of restoration back to wholeness. And his second coming as a victorious king will complete that process of restoration into full wholeness. As the beloved disciple John said in his first epistle, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves. They put in the effort, they make the effort within his pride. They purify themselves even as he is pure. Okay, there's so much more to say here. I'll tell you, I've got all kinds of things to say about that. I mean, think about it. We're talking about the inner world. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about restoration in that way, right? What about our bodies? How's God going to restore those? Fascinating conversation. Maybe we'll talk about that at Facebook Live on Wednesday. And I'll talk to Michelle, see if we've got time for that. So there's so much more to say about that here. Uh, but I'm going to leave that for other times and other venues. So let me close with this word from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Those few verses tell us that God didn't wait for us to make things right. God didn't wait for us to get restored to a particular level. In fact, when we were deep in our sin, when we were an absolute offense to God, when, as the message, the tra- message translation says, when we were of no use to him whatsoever, the Father still sent the Son, and the Son still willingly gave himself as an offering of atonement to pay the penalty for our sins on our behalf. When you look at what Jesus did, I mean, this this thing about restoration, he takes it seriously. He paid a terrible price to start it, and he's working even now to guarantee it. It has happened. It is happening. And it will happen. So that baby born in the dirty manger reminds us that you don't have to be perfect and clean. Jesus will come to you no matter where you are, no matter what might be going on inside of you. He's not afraid of the mud and dirt of your sin. No, not the stuff you see, not the stuff you don't see, not the stuff that he knows about you. He's not afraid of that at all. He is willing to enter into the muck and the mire and stand with you. That's why they call him Emmanuel, God with us. Restoring us to what the Father always intended us to be. This is part of the good news of this season. One of the reasons we celebrate. Would you please pray with me? Lord, from our deep and dark places, we call to you and we do ask for your mercy. Would you please show us the hidden places that keep us from experiencing? Show us the hidden places that keep us from experiencing your restoration, displaying your character to the world around us. Lord, we know this restoration is a process. It's going to take time and effort. And Lord, we know that you will finish the work when you come again. And so our hope is in you alone, in your power, in your coming, in your patience, in your love. And even when splashed by the brokenness around us and the revelations within us, Lord, help us wait for you and rely on your word until you come to make all things new again. In Christ's name, amen.